Welcome to Momentum Church. All right, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to get there here in a little bit. Matthew chapter 9. This has been one of my favorite series of all times. And when we started this series called Be the Church, I thought it was a weird time because, you know, we're going into the summer. But then the more I thought about it, to be honest, a challenge to be who God wants us to be to the people of God, the Be the Church challenge really makes sense right now. Because you all, it's a summer day and you're in the house of God. Come on. You're fierce. And you've shown up on a summer day to God's house. So I think it's a great time to be doing this series. And we have a few more weeks in this series. But today I want to be looking at Be the Church. And I'll I'll let you know here in a little bit what the the, the focus of today is. We'll get there. And um, let me just say what a church is. It's a community of Christ followers. Everybody say followers. Yeah, it's a community of Christ followers. That's what a church is is those who are gathering together they follow jesus we come together and then there's people that come in that are kicking the tires on faith is this for me you know is this what god has for me and so we have in this room right now atheists and we love you some of my favorite people i like some atheists more than some christians i know truth we have agnostics in this room we have people that have other faiths in this room and i am so thankful that you are here it's great to be a part of a community of faith and be able to allow jesus himself to make himself known to you and guess what he will i'm just one little side testimony this morning leading our meeting this morning to our team our worship team was a man by the name of evan when evan came to us years ago evan was an atheist didn't take long before he was an agnostic. And didn't take too long before he was a Christ follower. Amen? Isn't that how it should be? And I've told you a story before. He was our drummer at the time when he first started coming. And I've told you this before. I had somebody call me a few months ago. And they said, Pastor Ross, I heard a rumor. They don't go to our church. I heard a rumor that you had an atheist playing drums at your church. And I told the person that told me that, that can't be true. I don't think Ross would do that. And he told me, I said, well, you don't know Ross. I said, go back and tell that person we absolutely did have an atheist playing drums at our church. But then go tell him he ain't an atheist anymore. Amen? Amen? Woo! Because we're a house where you come in and you come as you are, right? But you don't stay as you came. That's the goal, not to stay as you came. And so today's teaching is going to kind of follow along those things because it's a strong challenge. And so if you're a guest with us, this may be a little too strong of a challenge for you. That's okay, all right? But if you're with us, receive it for what it is. Get your toes drawn back up in your shoes, amen? Put your big girl panties on. No, I'm sorry. I'm teasing because it's a strong challenge. So my question, if we're a community of Christ followers... Let me ask, what's the difference between being a fan and a follower? What's the difference between being a fan and a follower? How many Atlanta Brave fans do we have in the house? How many Cleveland Indians fans do... Okay, they changed the name to Guardians. I'm not so sure about that now. But yeah, not as many. I get it. But still, when it comes down to it, there are people in the room that are fans. We're fans. And I get that. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. And that actually, as a fan, you'll find yourself wearing different clothes to present your fanship. You know, you'll have things that identify you as a fan. It doesn't matter how much clothing you put on. 
It doesn't matter how many games you watch, okay? If you're a fan, when you show up at the ballpark, you are at the game, but you are not in the game. Don't miss it, all right? As a fan, you're at the game, but you're not in the game. You may be able to say, Pastor Ross, this person has this RBI, this person has this, this person. You may know all the stats about what those people on the field are doing, but not the pain of taking hard hits. You may know all the football players and all their stats, but you don't know the pain of the hard hits. You don't know what it's like to be on the field running with sweat stinging your eyes. Or maybe you did once as a kid, but now you're just a a fan, right? You don't know the sacrifice. You didn't go to practice. You're a fan. You weren't on the road those hours when they, in days when they missed their family and they missed their kids. And and, um, you, you don't know what they give up to do what they're called to do right? Because you're just a fan. So that's one thought of a fan, an enthusiastic admirer. And my brain always thinks of multiple definitions of words. And so a fan, how many have a fan in your house? You have a fan, right? What do fans do? If they're a decent fan, you pull that little thing up, right? And when you do, it does this, right? There you go. Who said that? oscillates. It oscillates. What is oscillating? Oscillating is going back and forth. Back and forth. And in my mind, God is calling us to be followers, not fans, because the double-mindedness of most of us at times, we need to squelch. Amen? That double-mindedness of going back and forth, I'm in, I'm out. This is serious, but I don't act like it. This is important, but I don't live like it. This is what I should be doing, but I won't make sacrifices to do it. That marks us as a fan, not a follower. So I want to challenge that in us. See, a fan will see what's important, but can't see that it's important enough to make a sacrifice for. A fan will, 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 will get in so far, and when the tension comes, you know, nah. A fan will leave at the seventh inning stretch. If, it's, if they're winning, ah, we already won. I'm leaving. And I think people in the church think we've already won. And yes, in the end, we know how that plays out. But we're leaving at the seventh inning stretch, and there's a whole lot of game left to be played. And it's not played in the stands. It's played on the on the field, yeah. And so a follower is willing to make the necessary sacrifices to get in the game. You're like, oh no, pastor's gonna talk about giving. I'm not, amen? We talked about that a few weeks ago, didn't we? So I'm not. But here's the thing, Jesus saw it too. So many of those who came to Jesus, they were big fans. I mean, they they heard of his miracle signs, wonders, and they came in droves to experience this miracle worker. And they're like, go Jesus, go Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus flips his message and starts to challenge them that you're gonna have to give up everything to follow me. And they go from go Jesus to I'm going Jesus, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, you know. And droves left him. Ended up with just 500 watching his ascension. Ended up with just 120 willing to sacrifice enough time to wait on the presence of the Holy Spirit to empower them to do the work the followers of Christ were supposed to do. But that was Jesus. He knew it's the same way. And he's still challenging us today to not just be fans, but to be followers. And as your pastor, I I need to ask you to forgive me. Is that okay? I need to ask you to forgive me. I am sorry for making following Jesus too easy. 
I'm sorry for presenting salvation in such a way that if you feel guilty about your sin, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. We don't want people to see and be embarrassed, so keep your heads down like it's something to be embarrassed about, getting saved, coming to Jesus, but bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you want Jesus to become Lord of your life, raise your hand, and we're going to pray a prayer with you, and you're going to get saved. And guess what? I believe that person gets saved, right? But I apologize if, if I've made it sound like that's it. And yes, salvation is a grace gift. It comes from God, unmerited. We can't do a thing to earn it. This is not talking about salvation. I'm just saying I feel like I haven't done the best job of letting our body know that there's a difference between being a fan and a follower. Amen? Amen. And so I'm sorry. And it's not just me. In the modern church, we've made it too convenient, too appealing to be called a believer. I'm a believer in Jesus. Well, yeah, okay. I believed in Santa till I was 10, you know. I was a little old. <laughs> but I did, you know. It wasn't truth. You can believe in a lot of stuff. But so it's not the idea, yes, I'm a believer. No, no, I'm a follower. Everybody say, I'm a follower of Christ. But us as pastors, we made it sound like coming to Jesus, we put more focus on his forgiveness than our repentance. A fan will be satisfied with his forgiveness. He saved, died to save me, but not our repentance. He died to be Lord of my life, for me to follow, to serve, to lay my life down. We presented coming to Jesus in such a way that we focus more on his salvation than our surrender. And both are important on our happiness than our brokenness before a holy God. We focus more on the greatness of life than the need to die to self. And live for Christ. Amen? And I'm not one that believes that when Jesus comes into your life, you're going to lose all the joy and all the things of life. Look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. That, no. No. I'm not. I, I do believe God's going to bring blessing into your life. I do believe that as you seek first his kingdom, everything is added to you. I do. But the everything you want starts to change. Everything you want starts to shift. Priorities start to shift as he is Lord of your life. Not just Savior, the one that does the work for us, but Lord, the one who we work for, the one who we follow, the one who we serve. Amen? We focus a little bit more at times on being served and having our needs met than on serving and meeting the needs of others. Let me ask you that question again. Are you a fan or a follower? Are you a fan or a follower? See, when it comes to a decision for Christ, it isn't just about believing. It is about following. A fan has no problem believing, but a follower acts. Faith without works is dead. And so faith to believe comes, but then the follower says, all right, what did Jesus do? I'm going to walk in his footsteps. I'm going to walk as he has walked. What did Jesus ask us to do? I'm going to go into all the world. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to baptize. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to cast out demons this week. I'm going to, I'm going to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. I'm, the things that he asked of us, we're going to engage because we're not fans. We are we're followers. See, you believe with your heart. I believe with my whole heart. But when you're a follower, you put feet to your faith. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I love to stand and read God's word together at least once on a Sunday. And so Matthew chapter 9. 
verse 35 through 38, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And so all these masses start to come to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. But they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There are people that he saw in his world and there are people that we see in our world that are lost without a shepherd. They need guidance. They need direction. They need people to serve them. Amen? There are people like that. And we've got to have compassion. That Greek word for compassion, it literally is talking about a stomach that feels as if it's being squeezed. It's, oh, you feel it so deep that you've got to do something to make a difference. And that's what Jesus was feeling in this moment. But he always shares ministry with his followers, always. Even now, you are the body of Christ. He doesn't do anything apart from his body, amen? He's not, he's not bodiless, but when we're fans, we treat him as if he's headless. We're the body, we're fans, and we're going to do whatever we want, amen? Have whatever priorities we want. No, he's the head, and we're the body, and so he, we see it right here. He begins because the disciples are blown away by all the masses coming. And in verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's tons of people that need to know this truth, but the laborers are few. And I love how Jesus wisely flips this. He tells them, therefore, earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He looks at his disciples who are overwhelmed by how much need there is. There's no way we can meet all these needs. And then he says, okay, you pray that God will send Lord of the harvest. He tells that group, pray the Lord of the harvest, that God will send people to reap this harvest. You can't pray that prayer and not be hypocritical if you're not willing to say, here I am, send me, right? So Jesus is just getting them to stir their hearts a little bit to think about that. And I'm saying in this vernacular that he was challenging a whole crowd of fans and saying to them, will you do what it takes to be a follower? Will you labor with me to reap this harvest? Father, in the name of Jesus, bless the rest of our time together. Allow your word to pierce our hearts. Allow joy and challenge to come from your scripture and your teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Have your seats. A man by the name of Dr. David Platt he said, we are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Abandoning ourselves. Not living as individuals any longer, but living in community. What's a church? It's a community of followers in Christ Jesus. And we need to find and operate in our individual roles and our individual responsibilities within the kingdom. Or within, within the, the community of God. And, and I'm from a factory town, you know. And, and Mansfield, Ohio is made up mostly of hillbillies like my mom and dad, my, my folks, that moved there to get out of the coal mines and to work in the factories. That's what it is, you know. And you're in Mansfield and you leave the concrete little jungle of Mansfield and you get outside the outskirts and it's corn and cows. That's all it is, corn and cows. But inside, there's factories, and there was all the big factories of the day, GM, Tappan, White, Westinghouse, all those back in the day, big factories. And on those factory floors, there were assembly lines. And we understand the idea of assembly, everybody assembling together, and as they assemble together, they work together and produce something of value. 
There's a reason why we are called the assemblies of God, the, the group that we're a part of, the assemblies of God. We assemble together, and when we're together, we produce something valuable in the world, all right? And so with that, it makes sense. We would never think that car came off the assembly line without the hands of many, many different people, and now robots. <sighs> Be careful of all the AI. No, I'm kidding. Can I give you a, a side note? You'll like this. My wife and I got in a fight. That happens. She's usually wrong. <laughs> Two weeks ago. And I had heard about AI chat. And so I thought, let's see how good this is. And so I was talking to the prompt. I'm a man, married 29 years, five children, got the best wife ever. I really messed up. I didn't protect her heart. I need an apology letter. <laughs> Shut up. It wrote the most brilliant letter you ever heard. And my wife loves Anne of Green Gables. And so I said, and put it in the flavor of an Anne of Green Gables novel. It was all this superfluous wording and, and, and just emotionalism. And, and, and so I sent it to her. And she wrote me back. She said, that's exactly how I feel. You've heard my heart. And then I had a call her. Baby, I'm, an, I'm really a jerk. <laughs> and we had already, I'd already apologized the night before. Everything was good the night before. I just thought I would see how good this thing is. It was really good. You're like, why don't you write your sermons out? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, about time to get some good sermons in here. No. <clears throat> Where did I get? Oh, assembling, putting things together. And so it makes sense on the factory worker side, on the line. And we have no problem seeing that it takes that in the world. It takes community working together to produce something of value. But too often in the church, people don't find themselves operating in some role. Let that sit on you, okay? We don't find ourselves finding some place to be a part of the assembly line of producing disciples, of making change in people's lives. And I personally feel a disciple that's eternal is a whole lot more important than the car that's going to depreciate, and if you're in Ohio, rust in about eight years. You know? Yeah. Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. Jesus came and he preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. And so he's preaching to the Jew and the Gentile, is what it's saying. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Fellow citizens. Citizens always have responsibilities. Of the household of God. Mac better on Wednesday night take the trash out. And he does. He's so good. That kid, I'm telling you, he, 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 get, he does his chores so good. Not all my kids are that way. That's why I like Mac best. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he does because he's part of the household. He knows. And so we're members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being together joined grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God, the Spirit. Being built together. One of my friends is here today, Don and his wife and mother-in-law. Hi there, Don. And Don was a pastor for years in the assemblies, and now he runs here in Georgia the RV Maps program. 
Before Don went into ministry, and even while he was in ministry at times, he was a contractor. And so as he has went into to ministry retirement, at least from the, 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 the local body, he has embraced this director position, and they go all over the place with volunteers building churches and remodeling and various things. And they set up their RV, and teams come in, and he leads them to build, to fit together a greater habitation that those people can use for the glory of God. Amen? So welcome, Don. Amen. Love you. But the local body, every single local body is made up of followers of Christ that our efforts, our talents, our resources, it all comes together to fit together to build the kingdom of God. Amen. It all does. There's not one person that doesn't have a responsibility as we all to come together into a dwelling place for God that he can use by his spirit to bring others into, to disciple them, to help them grow. There's not a single person that God would excuse for just being a fan. No, God's not satisfied with you being a fan. Amen? But I'm a believer. I know that. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm just saying believing happens with the heart. But followers, they move with their feet. Amen? They get into action. They, they begin to, to do what it takes to help build, not Momentum Church at 659 Arnold Mill Road. That's part of it. But to build the kingdom at large. Amen? Amen. And, and, and I heard a story I thought was so cute. There was a, a Sunday school teacher years ago, and she had a little boy in her class. And she wasn't thinking. And she was going to teach him how to do, here's the church. Y'all remember this? Let's do it. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. There's all the people, right? You remember that when you were in Sunday school? Yeah, yeah. And if not, now you've learned something you can teach tomorrow at your conference table. It works. Hey, guys. <laughs> They'll love it. But as she's telling the setup, trying to teach them how to do it, it dawns on her, oh, I got a little boy that only has one hand. And she's, she's flabbergasted. She's telling us. She's like, what am I, I going to do? Kind of like that one meme that's out right now where the little kid had no arms and did something really good. And the guy helping her is like, fit, fit, fist bump. Oh, high five. Oh. And you could just see the embarrassment on the guy's face. It's like he wasn't reading the room. Well, this woman wasn't reading the room. She felt so bad, but she kept on going. Because you know how it is when it feels awkward. You don't know what to do, so you just keep on going. And she keeps on going. And she starts to do that with the class. And all of a sudden, she looks over, and she sees another little boy reach his hands over. <laughs> it grabs the hand of that little boy. And together, here is the church, and here is the steeple. And little Johnny and little Matthew, they open it up. And guess what? There's little people fingers of Johnny and little people fingers of Matthew. Why? Because little Matthew lent a hand. Come on, somebody. I know all well, you were nervous about that story. I could see it. You're like, where's he going? This is a worst illustration ever. <laughs> Trust me. Just be calm. I'll get there. Takes a long time sometimes. <laughs> My question to you, do you have a willingness to be used by God to lend a hand? Followers do. And so if we're going to be the church... Here's our B today, okay? If we're going to be the church, we need to, everybody say, be used. used. If we're going to be the church, we need to be used in the church. We need to be used in the community of faith, amen? If we're going to be the church. Now, you don't have to, and you can be satisfied being a fan, all right? 
But God wants every one of you to have a spiritual thought in your mind of what am I doing this week or this month or every other week or every day, however it is, to make a difference that's kingdom related, that's, that's ministering to people that will happen on an eternal level. What am I doing? And I, and I know there's objections at times to serving, you know. I've had some objections at times. And, and I look at the objections to serving as a coin with two sides, a coin with two sides. Sides. On one side of that coin, one objective, objective to serving is insecurity. Just insecurity. I have no value to add to the body. You know, or maybe you're new here and you're like, I don't, I'm not that strong of a Christian yet. I'm still struggling in my faith. I, or I'm still I'm an atheist. And, and I don't know if I'm welcome to be able to be used by God that I don't believe in. Yes, you are. And watch you find him on the journey. Watch you find him on the way. He'll make himself known to you. Amen? Oh, I love it. But insecurity, I don't have the goods. I don't have the ability. Or maybe the insecurity is this. I don't want to get into serving because if I do, that means I'll be on a ministry team of some sort. And if I get close to people, one, they'll see my weaknesses. Or two, they'll just hurt me because I've been hurt before. How many has been hurt before? Be honest. I'm the pastor and I've been hurt before. Christians suck sometimes. Right? Sometimes. So it's like, I don't want to be hurt. And so there's insecurity on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, I don't know which one's more dangerous. I really don't. Because they both put you out of the place of being an active follower with your feet moving in faith to do something that builds the kingdom. Okay? So I don't know which is worse. But insecurity is on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin is ego. Ego. My time is too valuable to lend a hand. Oh, you would never say that, but your agenda, your calendar shows it. My time is too valuable to serve. My time is too... And you know, we have people in this room today that, that are very wealthy, and they find time to serve. They find time to serve in different ways, you know? And, and I know their schedules. I know their time frames. Insane. But they find time. Why? It's a priority. But that's one of those ego things. Or, my ability is too great to be of service. You know, I, I, should, I don't need to be just doing this or just doing that or just doing this or just doing that. My abilities are too... So, I'm sure nobody in here, it's about ego. I'm sure everybody in here, if you don't serve, it's about insecurity. Amen? Look at somebody. Amen? Amen? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> but I want to tell you right now... Everyone in here that has come to a, a knowing relationship with Jesus, we say that's being saved. You know, saved from what? Saved from hell? Saved from a life apart from the presence of God? Saved apart uh, from a life apart from the Prince of Peace that brings peace that passes all understanding? Saved. Yeah, yeah, and we love that we get saved, but can I tell it to you this way? Save people, save people. You'll see this in AA. You'll see a guy get free from his addiction of alcohol, and next thing you know, he becomes a sponsor. Why? Because he got delivered, and he understands delivered people deliver people. And so I'm going to help a few people get sober, and while getting them sober, I'm going to stay sober, but I can't be satisfied being delivered and not help deliver others. Does that make sense? And I'll just say it this way. Serve people ought to serve people. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, Momentum Church, we serve you well, period. I'm cocky about that. We serve you well. And so serve people. Are your kids served well here? You better believe they are. Are your youth served well here? You better believe they are. I love this one. How many men in the house? Make some noise, men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, a lot of times on Sundays, we have more men in this room than we have women. Do we serve the men of this house well? We sure do. Yes, we do. Women, man, we've learned to serve you better. Yes, we have. They're all like, yeah, but the men got bacon. <laughs> and lawnmower races. And we got muffins. Well, you know what? Deal with your heart with Jesus, okay? <laughs> Just take it before the Lord. <laughs> and next year, lawnmower races for the women. Amen? That would be awesome. <clears throat> that would be awesome. <laughs> Probably do better than Keith, but that's okay. Oh! Love you, Keith. Love you, Keith. <laughs> uh, but let me, let me go back. I do. I want to go back to kids' ministry because that's just such a vital part of what we do around here. On an average Sunday, about a third of our church are kids, children. It's crazy. And then obviously the volunteers that help them, but, but a third, just the children alone, zero to 18 years old. And in, in Mark 9, 37, it says, whoever receives a child in my name receives me. Do you realize ministry and welcoming kids and teenagers is welcoming Jesus? Amen. You want to have a church that is powerful? Welcome children in his name. Amen? Because it welcomes Jesus. And when Jesus shows up and his presence shows up, man, signs and wonders show up. Amen? His peace shows up. Heritage shows up. I want Jesus in this house. If I want Jesus in this house, if I want to receive him, then I got to receive the little ones a little bit better. And I'm going to take my pronoun off of that. Amen? I'm struggling with my pronouns. No, I'm not. I'm going to take I off, and I want to say we. If we want to see Jesus in this house, then we need to receive the children at a higher level. Amen? We do as a a ministry. And I'm just going to lean into this because I think it's really important. You know, we're supposed to make disciples, and most disciples that are adults now, 85% of adults that profess Christ made their decision to follow Jesus before the age of 12. So that means kids' ministry and middle school ministry, even high school ministry, is of utmost importance. Kids and youth ministry at Momentum is all about helping kids mature into the relationship with God that they have at every stage of development. I don't know if you guys understand our curriculum and our flow and how we do kids' ministry on here. If you walk down, you will see a wall of resources for parents. And we are very practical and very purposeful in ministering, not babysitting, but ministering to your children at every stage of their development. And it takes workers to make that happen. Well, pastor, doesn't it just take the children's pastor, Pastor Adelie, up there teaching? It doesn't. Not in today's culture, it doesn't. There was a time when you all were kids that you had the children's pastor up there, and the kids are there. There's 50 children, okay? And last week, I think there was 50, 51 or two kids just in that classroom alone with Pastor, with pastor Addie. And there's 50-some kids, and the teacher teaches, and, and, and it's chaos. Amen? That's not how we do it here. 
We, we believe in small groups, and there's a time in that bigger environment where we break down into smaller groups of six kids, seven kids, with a leader that pours into them that they begin to have that another layer of support and discipleship that's more individualized. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't it feel like we have a vision and a plan, and we have done this for years, to serve your kids well? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And guess what? That idea of small groups follows into middle school. And they go down and they do middle school when we have two services. On the second service of every Sunday, the kids come in for worship, the middle schoolers. Then they go down with Pastor Tyler to middle school. And guess what? There's some adult leaders that will go down with them. Why? Because there's a point in that night or that time that morning that they break into small groups and they get individual attention. Amen? They break into those smaller groups in the room and they get more, more discipleship from that leader. And guess what? Some of those leaders haven't been saved a long time. I mean, we have curriculum. You're not the one doing the teaching. Say amen. We have the tools and the resources. You're just saying, God, here I am, send me. I see the importance of these kids, and I want to help with these kids. And then guess what? In high school, on Wednesday night, all these teenagers come together, and during that evening, guess what they do? They break into small groups with leaders. When there's enough leaders, too often there's not. But when there's the leaders, there's always two in every room, always two. We have a a, a two-up policy, okay? So your kids are safe. But still, that idea of being able to man it well, we can't always do. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. Do you know why that's so important to model that to our kids? Because I'm telling you right now, the best part of Momentum Church is our journey groups all around this building. It is. When people get involved in small groups... Man, it just helps them to disciple and to grow, to feel connection, to know when they're hurting, to know when they're going through things, and to not just be served, but to serve each other in those small groups. And so we're modeling that from children all the way to adult life. That's the vision of this house. Does that make sense? And so we have to embrace how important it is to help these kids together to be fitted into this spiritual building that God is creating, this kingdom of God. And we've got to find ourselves to help at every stage of their development. Do you realize this? This blew my mind this week. I was looking at some biblical worldview stuff. And I've said for a couple years now that 6% of people in the world have a biblical worldview. I'm sorry, in America, in the U.S. And you heard that right. And you're sitting here going... Well, I have a biblical worldview. Do you? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. When I say a biblical worldview, I mean accurate, 100% to what Scripture is saying about the do's, the don'ts, the, the, what, the creation, the birth of Jesus, all those things. They have, Barna Research has said that 6%, that's what I've always said, but guess what? That has dropped 33% since COVID. COVID messed up a whole lot of stuff. Y'all know before COVID, we were about 420 people in here on a Sunday morning, you know? Now it's summertime, but before summer, we're about 325, you know? I mean, COVID definitely did a number on a lot of stuff. I'll tell you, though, y'all came back fierce. The ones that are here, you're serious. I love it. So here's what the figure is now. This blew my mind. It dropped, and now, just in those few years, it's down to 4% of people in America have a true 
biblical worldview. It was 25% of people that would have a theistic, um, theistic, deistic type. The, theistic deism is what it's called. You know, where they believe in God, but a lot of the other stuff, eh, not so much. About 25% of Americans, okay, even though 65 say they're Christians, but I'm just saying, when it comes down to the worldview, about 25%. Since the pandemic, that has dropped to 14% of people that would come close to a biblical worldview, okay? Come close to it. Blows my mind. When I hear that, this takes caring and predictable leaders and volunteers to help these people grow. If not, those percentages are going to continue to to increase. And I'll just say it this way, guys. Nothing at momentum and nothing that momentum does will matter more for our future than what we are presently doing for kids and teenagers. Give God some praise. Amen. And a lot of times I struggle to talk so pointed about things like this because the ministries are doing great. They really are doing well. But what God is doing in momentum and the growth that we have had and are having, we are not growing leadership-wise, volunteer-wise, at the rate that will allow us to continue to disciple people well. Amen? That's a good problem to have. I, I call it a growth gap. And I've seen it time and time again throughout my ministry. We'll start to grow And maybe it's the finances stay down here. And God's grace bridges that gap. And I believe God's grace will bridge that gap till we get mature enough to rise back up. And then we grow again. You know what I mean? I've seen it for years and years. But I also, we see it with volunteers. And that's where we're at. We have growth. And then this here is down here. And God's grace is sufficient. But if God's grace isn't enough to stir us to serve because we've been served, saved the people because we've been saved and so on, then over time... God will remove, not his salvation, but he'll remove the anointing and blessing on that house. This is where you get churches that are 20 years old and it's like just dead and dying. They they never took the responsibility to begin to bridge that gap. And God looks for a house. Those who draw near to him, he draws near to them. Amen? He looks for a house. Those who are serious about building the kingdom, God brings the anointing to build the kingdom in that house. Amen? And I want to be the church. I want to be a house where we're serious about the kingdom of God and building disciples. And a big part of that is making a difference in these children's lives. Amen? And so here's some need. We, we have around 50 to 60 zero to fifth graders just the last two Sundays. And that's down because it's summertime. And they had about 9 to 12 volunteers this summer with all the kids' ministry. Just enough to just barely get two people. I mean, we definitely do two-up leadership, always for accountability. But barely enough. And that's with us doing one service this month. And I'm not sitting here going, oh, momentum. We're, no, it, it's awareness. You don't realize it. And so why would you be responsible for stepping up to serve and to, to, to find your place if you don't realize it? Once you do realize it, that's the difference. Once you do realize it, finding some place to serve, are you a fan or are you a follower? And so you have a need. We have a need, rather, for, for you to be used, especially right now in all areas of ministry. But I'm challenging this Sunday to, from birth through high school. I need you to pray about it. We, we have a need to reach these. Because we know that in August, we'll have even more families with kids and teenagers coming. It always happens. We have an onslaught of people coming in this house. And we want to be ready. There'll be literally 100 people more on campus a week than what you see in here right now, come August. It's just how it is, right? We 
need those volunteers. We want to be ready to receive these people. Knowing that we have a solid ministry happening is, is the only way we can receive them well. And if we receive them well, especially with kids, then we're receiving Jesus well, and he will show up. And when he shows up, lives will be changed. Amen? And so Pastor Tyler's in the same boat with the kids' ministry. And, and here's why it's important, and we're going to work toward a close here. We have a generation that's on the brink of spiritual extinction. I told you what Barna was saying. Barna measures the worldview of American adults for more than 30 years. And here's what he said. These new lows among American adults could effectively spell the extinction of biblical beliefs in our nation. And you know I'm not one that just preaches fear all the time. But this just messed me up. And it made me think about the nation of Israel and how they had fallen away so much. And then God raises up a man by the name of Isaiah. And I want to show you the scripture because God places something in his heart to do. It says, in the year that King Uzziah, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting high upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He's having an open vision seeing God. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to one another, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love that for centuries and centuries, eons and eons. Every time they see God, as they fly around, they see some aspect of him that's so good, holy, holy. They've never lost the, 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 the enamorment by who God is, holy, holy, holy. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And here's what he said. This is what Isaiah said. Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm insecure. I'm on this side of the coin. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not that level of believer yet. I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to serve. I, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And I love this. It becomes an altar experience now. This fire off the altar comes to touch Isaiah. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. In other words, I have served you. I have saved you. I have changed you. Isaiah's commission for the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying to me, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And in spite of his insecurities, in spite of all the struggles, in spite of all the people around him, he just said, Here am I. Send me. Amen? Here am I. Send me. You see, Barna said this, young people in particular are largely isolated from biblical thought in our society and are the most aggressive at rejecting biblical principles in our culture. Guys, I've seen it in my own home. I've seen it. It's difficult right now because we have people going into a world where now 4% have a biblical worldview. And so what's up is down, what's down is up. Amen? Things that we hear in our world and our society just blows my mind, but it's becoming the norm. And for us to believe something different, we look hate-filled and bigot-filled and all that, you know what I'm saying? This is the environment our kids are getting into. We've got to fight the stream of the environment. We've got to go upstream. How many fishermen do we have here? A few? You know how the salmon, they go upstream, right? That's us. All of culture, all of society, everything is going this way. And it takes effort and action to say, here I am, send me, Lord, and begin to go upstream. You can't plant the seeds of new birth unless you go against the flow and fight to go upstream. 
That's what those salmon are doing. They're going to plant seeds of new birth. And when we go upstream against our agenda, against culture, against time, against our fears or insecurities or our ego, we have an opportunity, especially when we're serving these kids and youth, we have an opportunity to plant seeds of new life. And so my question to you, are you a fan or a follower? And I'm going to close. Being a fan is all about satisfying our cravings and comfort, about what we want, what we need. Being a follower is about focusing everything we have and are on Christ and his call. See, those who are Christ's followers, they don't seek comfort as their God. Those who are Christ's followers, we don't have a higher priority than what God would call us to. Those who are Christ's followers don't let anything stand in the way of what God wants to do in and through them. And my challenge to you is be the church. Amen? Don't be a fan. Be a follower. Be the church. Be used to make a difference. Be the church. Amen? And so what do I mean by that? I mean this. Position yourself to be used by God or call it for what it is. If you're not going to position yourself to be used for God, call it for what it is. You are a fan. You are not a follower. Now, I'm not going to tell you you're not going to heaven, all right? Our service doesn't get us to heaven, but it gets us out of the bleachers and onto the field. I don't know about y'all. I dirt bike. I dirt bike till I was 35. I don't dirt bike anymore. Man, I miss it. And I can tell you right now, watching motocross on TV, it was nowhere near as thrilling as being on the field, being on the, on, on the, on the track. Nowhere. That's how it is in ministry and life, man. There's something about it when you're there and you're doing a little thing with a kid and you don't even know and you're reading the lesson off the plan and you're helping them out and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit puts something in you to say and you're like, that's smarter than me. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you realize, I just got to be the voice of the Holy Spirit to this kid. You're, te- you're serving a teenager and they start to talk to you about the things they're struggling with and they find that you are somebody that they value enough and can trust to share you begin to minister to them, and they stay. Their mind stays peaceful. Their mind stays in a place of growth. They don't run off isolated. Man, you did that. It feels so good because you're on the field. And so here's what our altar call is today. I've never, I don't know if I've done this ever at Momentum. I'm putting a QR code. Get your phones out. I know we went long. We only have one service. Get your phones out. 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 And I'm not going to tell you you have to serve in kids and youth ministry, okay? But I'm going to say this. I believe every single person in this room should be serving somewhere. Everybody in this room should be going, God, put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game. Like, like I, I want to make a difference. I want to partner with this community of faith to make a difference. And there's things we do inside the building, outside the building. There's things we do on the mission field. There's things we do all over. But all I'm saying is the key area of need right now is kids and youth. And so I would hope a good chunk of y'all, today you'll scan that. And when you do, it's going to lead you to put your name in. And just someplace on there, I'm interested in knowing more. I know it looks like you're signing up for that ministry. You're not, all right? You're, that is saying, I'm interested in knowing more. And our leadership team will get a hold of you and talk to you about the next steps and processes. If you're a guest with us and you don't realize this, you know, we will not let anybody serve kids ministry unless they're here six months and have a background check, okay? So I just don't want anybody sitting there thinking, they're going to sign people up and start using them in August. No, we're not. We do things decently and in order. Amen? 
But I want you to scan that. And it may not be kids' ministry. You may be like, I want to be, do greeting. I want to do some outreach. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know? But just somewhere today, if you're not serving anywhere, just say, I'm going to pop my name in there and take a step in finding out some more about being a part of this team. Because save people, save people. Serve people, serve people. Amen? And, um, and here's what's neat about it. You may start in that team and it's not a fit. That's all right. Pastor Stephanie, she always says, you won't be in, in serving hell. Just serving purgatory. We will, we will work you out of that to a place of your strength, a place of, that's a good fit for you, okay? But I just, I, I know I'm going long. I, actually, it's 1115. We're okay. I'm telling you right now, I, there's nothing more vibrant in the church because we've been there before. When you have 40, 50, 60% of the people in the house serving, nothing more vibrant. You know what happens when you have that many people? And we've been there before, where we have that high of percentages. Well, there was a time when we had about 65, 70% of our adults that served in the church, you know, early on in the early days when we were 100, 150 people. You know what happens when that happens? All the pettiness goes away. You're too busy to be petty, you know? Everything starts to just gel. People know there's needs before you even say it because you're connected with people. You don't say, are you okay? Yeah, I haven't been feeling good. I could tell something's going on. And needs get met when you're serving at that level. Amen? I just, I just want us to go into this new season as August and on comes with strength like we haven't had in a while. And I know it was pandemic stuff. I know it was the COVID stuff. I know we lost our role a little bit. And as your pastor, to allow that to just settle into the norm, I will be held accountable to that. And I want to challenge us. Man, I don't want to be a normal church, amen? I want to be a church of followers, not fans. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless my friends. Allow them to leave this place challenged and spurned on, not condemned. Allow them to leave this place hope-filled of what you're going to do at the ends of their fingers, what you're going to do with the words that come out of their mouth, what you're going to do with their lives poured into others. In Jesus' name, everybody give God a big praise. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.